Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and welcome to today's edition of This Week in Business History for the week of October 4th, 2021. Hey, before we get started today, let's talk sports for a moment. October is always a wonderful time of year. As a big baseball fan, my beloved Atlanta Braves have won their division, and they're gonna be taking on the very tough Milwaukee Brewers later this week in round one of the playoffs. So did you know on October 5th, 1921, the World Series was broadcast on radio for the very first time. It featured the New York Giants versus the New York Yankees, and it would be the last nine-game series before Major League Baseball moved to a permanent series of seven games. Three radio stations would broadcast a version of the series. KDKA from Pittsburgh would get a live version of the game with sports writer Grantland Rice, as he was calling it, from the stadium. Now, WBZ out of Springfield, Massachusetts, and WJZ from Newark, New Jersey, would hear a, those listeners would hear a piecemealed version of the game, which depended on Thomas Cowan relaying phoned-in updates of the game. I imagine that the newness of the technology allowed listeners to kind of get past what had to be a pretty rough broadcast. The Giants would go on to beat the Yankees five games to three. Now, beyond baseball, college football across the United States is running at full tilt. My beloved Clemson Tigers have had a really rough start to the year, but hey, that's okay because we've been spoiled these last five or six years. Here's a trivia factoid to share at your next tailgate. Did you know that the first live radio broadcast of a football game took place on October 8th, 1921? And it was the before-mentioned KDKA station out of Pittsburgh that made it happen. They broadcast a game featuring Pittsburgh versus West Virginia, and the home team won that day 21-13. It's really amazing just how far sports broadcasting has come. These days, of course, you can get just about any game for any team on television or streaming, right? So getting back to today's show on This Week in Business History, we're going to be talking about Ray Kroc, who changed the business world, especially the food industry, in a really big way. Raymond Albert Kroc was born on October 5th, 1902, in Oak Park, Illinois. He would go on to take a small restaurant chain run by two brothers and transform it into the global titan that is McDonald's today. Growing up, I can still remember seeing a bronze plaque in our local McDonald's with Ray Kroc's name and likeness emblazoned on it. I would think to myself, why is 
his last name, not McDonald. Decades later, I learned that fascinating story. And it's really the story that keeps on giving and teaching. So join me as we walk through five things you didn't know about Ray Kroc. So stay tuned. And hey, by the way, if I could ask for a simple favor, our team sure would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the show and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from. Again, we appreciate your support. So let's dive into this week in business history, powered by the team over at Supply Chain Now. Okay, so let's start our list of five things by focusing on Ray Kroc before McDonald's. Before he made it big, Kroc did all kinds of things. In 1917, as World War I was taking place, he would lie about his age and join the Red Cross to drive ambulances. So while the war ended before Kroc deployed and served, he did manage to meet a famous fellow ambulance driver. So while training, Ray Kroc and Walt Disney would meet. They were both from Illinois and got along pretty well. Years and years later in the 1950s, as Walt Disney was opening Disneyland in California, Ray Kroc saw a tremendous opportunity. Ray would write Walt and remind him of their service together in the Red Cross. Kroc would ask if there is a way that McDonald's, a very young enterprise at the time, could play a role in providing food at the new theme park. Disney politely declined and Ray Kroc would indeed move on. Interestingly enough, as McDonald's grew its global wherewithal in the decades that followed, Michael Eisner, CEO of the Walt Disney Company in the 1980s, would engage McDonald's and kick off a partnership between the two global brands, a partnership that has continued in various ways ever since. But getting back to Ray Kroc on a pre-Empire basis, he would also work as a piano player, a paper cup salesperson, and of course, a multi-mixer sales rep, which is the role that would dramatically shape Ray Kroc's destiny. One last item of note before we move on. Did you know that Ernest Hemingway also served as an ambulance driver for the Red Cross during World War I? Hemingway was sent to the battlefield in Italy. He would be hit with a mortar shot, and while in the hospital, Hemingway would fall in love with a nurse that became the inspiration for his book, A Farewell to Arms. Okay, so back to five things you didn't know about Ray Kroc. For number two, Ray Kroc was a bit of a late bloomer. Some folks may be surprised to hear that Ray Kroc, well, he never went to college. For decades, he toiled in a variety of roles. In his 1977 autobiography, Grinding It Out, Kroc wrote, quote, I was 52 years old. I had diabetes and incipient arthritis. I had lost my gallbladder and most of my thyroid gland in earlier campaigns, but I was convinced that the best was still ahead of me." End quote. In the 1940s, Ray Kroc would meet an ice cream shop owner known as Earl Prince. Prince had invented a mixing machine that was able to mix five milkshakes at a time. It was called a multi-mixer, and Ray Kroc would partner with Prince to sell these machines. In 1954, Kroc would hear about a San Bernardino, California restaurant that ordered several of his multi-mixers. To Kroc, this was an interesting order, because I bet most restaurants were good with a single multi-mixer. Curiosity would get the best of Kroc, and he ventured out to visit this customer and see what was behind the unique demand. 
As he arrived to the burger stand run by a couple brothers, Ray Kroc sat in his car and observed all the customers lining up for their food, order after order, and getting it really quickly. His attention would shift over to a young lady in a yellow convertible. Ray Kroc would say, quote, It was not her sex appeal, but the obvious relish with which she devoured the hamburger that made my pulse begin to hammer with excitement. End quote. Now we arrive at the French fries. Now, my wife Amanda and I will tell anyone that will listen the absolute best French fries in the whole wide world are found at McDonald's. Yes, McDonald's. Ray Kroc would agree. It's been said that it was the French fry that sealed the deal for Kroc and made him find a way to be part of this intriguing McDonald's operation. He would say, quote, the French fry would become almost sacrosanct for me. It's preparation, a ritual to be followed almost religiously, end quote. Right then and there, Ray Kroc would approach Dick and Mac McDonald about working together. And as fate would have it, the 52-year-old traveling salesperson that was largely unsuccessful, well, he'd find the opportunity of a lifetime. Number three on our list of five things you didn't know about Ray Kroc. What really happened between Ray Kroc and the McDonald's brothers? On December 7th, 2016, a wonderful film entitled The Founder was released. It featured Michael Keaton, yeah, former Batman, in a lead role starring as Ray Kroc. It was really one of my favorite movies released that year. However, one of the inaccuracies in the film centers on how Ray Kroc and the McDonald's brothers' business deal played out. Recently, I found a great interview on Marketplace where David Brancaccio interviews Lisa Napoli, the author of Ray and Joan, The Man Who Made the McDonald's Fortune and The Woman Who Gave It All Away. Lisa shares what really happened between Ray, Dick, and Mac. First off, Dick and Mac McDonald didn't want to change a thing. Life was good when Ray Kroc initially approached them. They were getting a new Cadillac every year and burgers were flying off the self-serve counters. Ray Kroc realized, though, that to really go big, he needed to be free and clear of the brothers. Now, to level set a bit, initially, when they first agreed, Ray Kroc had agreed to serve as the exclusive licensing agent and franchise a McDonald's restaurant for Dick and Mac McDonald. 1.9% of each franchisee's profits would go to their partnership, with 0.5% of that going directly to Dick and Mac. To leave that potentially lucrative deal, the brothers wanted cold hard cash. But Croc had a small or a big problem. He couldn't come up with the cash that Dick and Mac wanted to have them fade off into the sunset and relinquish that 0.5%. Dick and Mac McDonald wanted $1 million apiece and another $700,000 for taxes. That's right, for $2.7 million, everything, everything would be Crocs. Now, if he could only find $2.7 million, not only was he short of the cash, but he was really busy. In those earliest years of working with the McDonald's brothers, he opened 100 stores by 1959. So enter Harry Sonneborn, who would source a group that would become known in McDonald's lore as the 12 Apostles. That would be 12 institutional investors 
that would agree to supply Ray Kroc with $2.7 million to buy out Dick and Mac. So in 1961, Dick and Mac McDonald were summoned to Chicago to get a check and leave the McDonald's business forever. And Ray Kroc got everything else, including that 0.5% of profits. It's been said that Dick and Mac didn't like how the new McDonald's Corporation erased them both from company history. Kind of like that bronze plaque that I saw as a kid whenever I visited McDonald's. It was of Ray Kroc, it wasn't of Dick and Mac McDonald. But the brothers, they did like the cash. In fact, Dick and Mac used some of the money and attempted to get back into the burger business. Now they couldn't use their last name because that was part of the deal with Ray Kroc. So they used the Big M as the name for their new food joint. Dick and Mac would run the Big M for several years and eventually turn it over to their employees as they had wanted to do. Even though the movie The Founder gets a few things wrong as it illustrates the Ray Kroc story, hey, go check it out. It's a great film. Now let's move to number four on our list and let's talk about Hamburger University. Now the same year that he bought out Dick and Mac, Ray Kroc would create a program that would ensure successful standardization of operations across all McDonald's restaurants. It would later become known as Hamburger University and it was critical to the success of the global empire. Standardization would be applied to preparation, packaging, ingredients, portions, you name it. Service levels for customers would also be implemented and they were set really high. Franchisees had to get with the program or they'd get left behind. In particular, the cooking operations had to be both efficient and easy to learn. Think about the turnover in fast food. For many employees, it would be their first job. And for some, they wouldn't last long. So to deal with all the comings and goings of team members, cooking at McDonald's had to be easy to learn. Let's talk about those fabulous french fries again, as Ray Kroc insisted on only the highest standard there. It might surprise you that Kroc was especially demanding on his potato suppliers. He would actually send teams of workers out to his potato suppliers to make sure the right quality was there. In fact, the quality teams would deploy with hydrometers. So to make sure the potatoes headed to McDonald's restaurants had the correct water content. Ray Kroc set a high standard for how each of the operations would be run. It's how they became his little money machines as he referred to his first McDonald's restaurant. He would say quote, if I had a brick for every time I've repeated the phrase quality, service, cleanliness, and value, I think I'd probably be able to bridge the Atlantic Ocean with them, end quote. Over 275,000 franchisees, managers, and employees have graduated from Hamburger University ever since. In 1977, Kroc would choose to take a new role. The senior chairman of the growing global company is what he would step into. He'd have this role until his death in 1984. At that time, McDonald's had 7,500 restaurants across almost three dozen countries and the enterprise was worth about $8 billion. Not too bad for a failing traveling salesman that started all anew at the age of 52. And now we arrive at number five on our list of five things you didn't know about Ray Kroc. 
Now, as I had mentioned on the front end of today's show, I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan and really a big baseball fan in general. One of the things about Ray Kroc that I didn't know was that he had bought the San Diego Padres in 1974 for $12 million. In fact, Kroc's acquisition kept the team in San Diego as a previous buyer had planned on moving the team to Washington, D.C. Now, the Padres didn't play great ball while Kroc was owner. In fact, in the season opener in his first season as owner, the Padres lost 9-5 to the Houston Astros. Now, before the game was over, Ray Kroc would take the public address microphone at the stadium and say, quote, Fans, I suffer with you. I've never seen such stupid ball playing in my life, end quote. Now, as he said that to a roaring crowd, a streaker would take off across the baseball field. Kroc yelled into the microphone, quote, Get that streaker out of here. Throw him in jail, end quote. Now, in that first season, the San Diego Padres would go on to have a disappointing record of 60 wins versus 102 losses. But they were quite a draw and had more than a million fans come out to the ballpark in a single season for the first time in team history. Now, five years later, Ray Kroc would hand over operations of the Padres baseball team to his son-in-law, Ballard Smith, saying, quote, there's more future in hamburgers than baseball, end quote. Ray Kroc would be inducted into the San Diego Padres Hall of Fame in 1999. Well, that just about does it for this week's episode of This Week in Business History. What a remarkable story that Ray Kroc's business journey offers. I hope you really enjoyed these five aspects that I shared here today. Now, with that said, we wish you a wonderful week ahead. Hey, this is Scott Luton urging you to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And we'll see you right back here next time on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.